weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thanks for the two Johnnies. It's Thursday, the 26th of January, and this is Game On. Coming up today, David Snade is in studio to discuss Brighton signing another Irish striker, as well as a fascinating recent road trip he took through English football. Bernard Jackman is in studio too, and we'll look at the URC team news and in-camp Six Nations squads. Plus, Jeff Shepard has his eye on America and the quarterbacks making waves this month. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. On 2FM. I'm delighted that Dave and Bernard are sitting across from me here in studio today because we have plenty to get through. And just given the fact that you're both from uh, two very different sports, two very different worlds, almost I could say. Um, reading your piece, Dave, um, over the last couple of days, because it takes a few days because it's a really <laughs> long piece in the 42. Um, you'd want to put the kettle on. Yeah. Um, I was just taken by how different the landscape is now for Irish footballers and managers in the UK now before compared to what it used to be like and how I think we're still almost acclimatising to the fact that our footballers now inhabit a very different world than the ones that maybe we grew up watching. Um, It's not always easy. It can be a bit of a struggle and it's not as glamorous as I thought it was going to be. No, it's definitely it's definitely not glamorous. <laughs> that's for sure. I'm not after myself just from from driving around some of the towns, but um, yeah, no, it was just it, it was kind of an idea I had for for a good couple of years really, and mm-hmm. it was just trying to formulate it and then lucky get lucky with some fixtures as well. So, so basically, what I did was I kind of my plan was try and get a player who would have come through and say and not made it to the Premier League, not made it to the highs and the lows, and so well, obviously experienced quite a lot of lows but highs at his level so met up with Stockport County's striker Paddy Madden who's a captain the captain there and he's from Dublin he would have came through League of Ireland been involved with Shelbourne Bohemians and went went over and basically the highest level he got to was the championship got capped once for Ireland and then had a, has had a tremendous career like he at one point he was only a few goals off the record goal scorers for League 1 which mm-hmm. at that level is incredible and like just even just chatting with him just making the point that I said this to him with all due respect I was like when growing up like he never would have dream- would have been dreaming of playing for the likes of Carlisle Yeovil mm-hmm. Scunthorpe Fleetwood and then Stockport but yet once you get into that life and once you kind of go down that road there'd be lads who would absolutely dream of having that yeah. kind of career and do what he done and like it kind of the what I was trying to kind of capture is is that so much it's not there left to chance and it's not there by luck because you only get what you what, what you will put into it but that, they're still you need to have those little flickers of fortune mm-hmm. along the way to, to kind of get you to the very top and like there was one moment where we were just chatting and he kind of was remembering the training session he had before he was due to meet up with Ireland having been called up for a World Cup squad because he played a friendly against Wales and went into just a random tackle with one of its one of his teammates and did his knee and was out for six months, and he was just like, I remember him just looking at it, even seeing it then he was just going back and he was, he, he went back and he was just like sighing about it again like you know what I mean and he kind of was composing himself talking about it and he was just even saying that like he was looking to the sky crying almost and had to make a phone call himself to say he was injured and then he's saying I never got back a sniff to it in it you know and then obviously you kind of you're listening to him and then you're talking and then like you're around the club and it was just just a great club like the Red League 2 trying to push for for League 1 and then I'm jumping back in the car and then I'm taking phone calls with two lads who were at Shamrock Rovers last year won 35 has had a great career but again made it to the Premier League with Burnley Chris McCann and then in the first month that he's there 
does his knee and he's out for the season so he's like left home at 15 and has a, again has a tremendous career mm-hmm. plays for Burnley gets back to Burnley plays for Wigan ends up at Shamrock Rovers and it was mad he was telling me he ends up back in the box room that he le- left with as a kid to spend a couple of years and by that point he's got a family back in England who he's had to leave behind just to continue on his own playing career he's now back in England with them driving up and down the motorway Looking training club, with a club yeah. has no, doesn't know if he'll get a contract and is hoping he'll get a contract and then yeah. then and obviously that line from, I, I want to just try and get something for the season and hopefully another year that's it like, like you just know what hope I mean? that's it and like what I was saying to him and his own wife had said it to him and like, like I, I'd known Chris I used to live in the UK so I, I, I kind of known Chris and followed his career since 2008 2009 when I was there um, and I just kind of said like why do you why do you still do this you know what I mean like he, he's had a tremendous career he's made a few bob he doesn't he said himself he doesn't have to do it and he just said it's the sadistic side of him where he wants to still feel that pain in his body he wants to put himself through that and know that he can still do it and then obviously listen like going through the whole journey of the weekend that was there for, there for three days like going to Burnley to watch Josh Cullen play and mm-hmm. speaking to Vincent Company about him and just like, literally it was coming towards the end of the night and it was a mad match they got to score a goal in the last minute and like Vincent Company had been asked questions after the match for, for a good while I was hanging around it was late at night and then I was just wanted to ask you speak to him about, about Josh Cullen and he just like his eyes lit up yeah. and he was just the way he was like speaking about this fella who we all hope is going to become mm-hmm. like he's the, the current men's player of the year we all hope is going to be this linchpin of the Orange midfield for the next few years and you listen to someone like Vincent Company and what he's achieved in his career and the calibre of player he was and would have shared dressing rooms with and the way he's talking about mm-hmm. him, you're just like, wow, like you kind of. For somebody like him to say that he's one of the hardest working players, that the standards that he set, you know, you hear that all the time. But then when it's somebody like Vincent Company saying, you're like, well, maybe, you know, know. it's a bit of a different slant on it then. And even like, as McBurney would, like, would, would attest to this, the point, one of the points that stuck out with me was he just said, like, if there's some players that he would, this was Vincent Company speaking, that he would know and say, like, if they had half of what Josh Cullen had in terms of his attitude mm. his mentality that was the big thing and how he actually carries himself they'd have un- unbelievable careers because he was saying that like with Josh it's impossible to predict where he could end up because he just is capable of actually delivering so much more than what people might think he's able to do just because of his own mentality and the belief that he has not just in himself but even around the teammates around him and what he does to the team it was just it was quite that was quite heartening to, to hear and then just like you're looking at lads and at Stoke again like it's the next day and by this time I was even tired and I was only over there a day and you're travelling but like but then you're seeing lads and it was like these two young lads again Ireland are 21 internationals Gavin Kilkenny and Will Smallbone mm-hmm. they're both on loan from Premier League clubs at Stoke City who are like just at that point were only a few points above the relegation zone Gav Kilkenny is left out of the squad of the matchday squad by the new man- by the manager who he he had been due to start for on the weekend that the Queen passed away that uh-huh. match didn't happen there was a training match organised and he does his knee and yeah. since then hasn't played for that, that manager Alex Neal and then on the morning of the match is told listen like you're on loan we're going to if you can get something else sorted off you go like you know what I mean and then Will Smallbone again on loan from Southampton again he's had serious knee injuries Play, he's already played in the Premier League as a teenager he's rebuilding his career he scores in front of Stephen Kenny and it just shows you like where how stuff can mm-hmm. like can happen and stuff can change in an instant, you know, and, and how the, the different paths that lads can take in just one game. If something he might have done, he's already been involved with the senior squad under Stephen Kenny, but there could be something else there that Stephen Kenny might have seen in him that might say, you know what, 
I'm going to bring him in March for when Ireland play when Ireland play France for the first European qualifier and that was just the nature of what I was trying to get across in the article was like obviously it finishes with Nathan Collins coming up against Erling Haaland yeah. and speaking to that and then that's the glamour side of it and that's the lad who mm-hmm. is the great hope and like listening to him talk but that was the whole point of the piece and obviously like one of the most enjoyable parts of it from my point of view was getting to share the car back with John O'Shea from Stoke back to Manchester afterwards and just listening to him for half an hour talk about his career but then him having the same doubts and him having the same insecurities about what some of these young lads have now as he embarks on being a coach and you're like yeah you worked for Alex Ferguson and he had a great career at Man United won the European Cup won five league Premier League titles but then like he's now experiencing what some of these lads now have where they have those little bits of doubt and they want to learn about the game he's learning a whole new side of the game and it was just it was just very interesting and kind of with with some of the access and some of the honesty from some of the lads it was a bit of a privilege just to get it because like it kind of just it did as in the piece it was just a kind of in the headline about just the enduring beauty of the game mm. but there is still a massive struggle there and it was just very interesting to hear it from them you know I found that like from reading it and just I think I suppose from my point of view my my perspective was always that if you don't go to Manchester United or Liverpool you haven't had a good career oh, stop. but just hearing stories like this and seeing our international players now in different clubs you know not the top level clubs that we're used to has made me really understand that anyone that can go over there and have a career a fairly long career like that's impressive to be able to survive in any of these environments to be able to earn a living in such a tough place and such a tough industry it's so commendable and, and mm. they're all really good careers No absolutely and again I'll be honest that's part of, the, part of the reason why I kind of wanted to try and do it and in fairness like my editors at the 42 have just been fantastic because mm. they were like just go do it and see what you can get out of it and it wasn't as if like normally you might go and say, oh, try and get a few few quotes here a few quotes there but it was like just try and just go into it go like yeah. kind of like, get dirty with it a little bit and just like see what you can get out of it and just try and get the honesty from people and because like that's the thing like again like everyone would have grown up it's like the point of making earlier about Paddy Madden like you grow up and you want to play for Liverpool like, you might, like, Roy, like remember, Roy, remember that quote from Roy Keane when he was talking about certain players who he might not get on with and he was like oh show us our medals you know and that's and always it's that was always the thing maybe that footballers or yeah. even anyone in sport and say oh show us our medals that that's that defines your your yeah. career and all but then we kind of came away from thinking that it's like now nah, if you can come out if you can come away from your career <laughs> if you can come away from your career with your with your head intact yeah in terms of where you're at happy because yeah. that's a big thing and just knowing what you want to do next like that's more success that's more I don't know, that's more kind of a sign of a, of a good career than anything else yeah. because like, that's success you will have. Yeah, it's great at the time and stuff and that's what drives you in that in those moments but like that fades after a mm. while, do you know what I mean? And like that like that was, like, it was already just before, before I did this piece with Robbie Brady uh, um, just before Christmas and um, met him where just where he lives outside Manchester and obviously Robbie Brady played for Man United, Ireland, National, like everyone would would have said oh well what's happened to Robbie Brady in the last couple of years and scored that, that famous goal against Italy and Lille and it was at that point when he scored that goal that his own anxiety and stress levels and stuff was just through the roof and was at the point where like he wasn't able to be around people you know like he was talking about where he to be times where he just wouldn't be able to speak and he was just like inside he was like, eating up and I said to him like at that point you were like the king of Ireland that scored that goal and he goes <laughs> he was like he said, listen, he goes, not in my effing head, I wasn't in my head. He was like, he was nobody, you know what I mean? And that's just like stuck with me. I was like, that's Robbie Brady who was saying that. And then you speak to some of these players and the challenges that they would have went through. And even again with John O'Shea and like the fact that he was talking about 
like not just jumping into management and not just like saying oh yeah I have, to have the arrogance to say I'm aware of it about football kind of having been humble enough to say oh, I actually have to learn about this other side of the game and how, how football really really works because like there's a lot of bad in it there's a lot of mm-hmm. dirt in it but one thing that shone true from all of them was saying there's a lot more good in it that keeps them there and keeps them involved and like it was just yeah like even one of the lads who I spoke to was Gavin Hodge who's the father of Joe Hodge yeah. again Ireland and mm-hmm. like that that week son Joe signs a new contract with Wolves four and a half years basically effectively set him up for life yeah. like had come through the Man City Academy had his own problems with injury but his daughter Emma who's at the Man City Academy has a really bad injury and it's going to face the guts of a year now recovering and as a father he was coming in and like he looked like a broken man like yeah. he was like like chatting to him and like this is a fellow who is a project manager by trade but kind of went back and wanted to learn about football so when his family was going into it he had like a, a kind of a postgrad in a sports directorship so he understood the mechanics and the mechanism of everything that goes on behind football because like it's such a tricky path to navigate and obviously the young lad there now who's signing for signing for Brighton mm-hmm. all the talent in the world and it's it's all ahead of him but it's not easy it no. really is not easy Bernard, you've obviously seen it at a, at, in a in a different sport, but like essentially it's the same thing because you've all these people competing for the same thing, which is to try and be a pro athlete, pro rugby player for as long as they possibly can. But there's so much that comes into play, and if you can come out the other side of it and have had a, a fairly long career and you have your health and you know what you're doing afterwards, it's pretty much the same as being a footballer. Like you've you've done really well then. Yeah, yeah, I've done well, but the 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 breadth of um the uh, the size of football. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I lived in Manchester, I actually we used to train in Stockport County. Um, you sail, yeah, the yeah. Sail Sharks, yeah. and um, obviously, you know, this, you know, obviously you have your your Flash, you have your Man United, you have your 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 Man City. But within you know Wigan Athletic, I used to go to watch rugby league. I used to go watch Wigan Athletic mm-hmm. play. So there's just so many clubs, so many opportunities. But it's because of so many people playing the game compared to rugby, it's so competitive. Um, I suppose I remember. Paul Gammond uh, came to Newport to play for Newport County and, and obviously I was there with the Dragons and we used to meet up he's a Carlo man and I remember being with him in Nando's in Newport because I was my family were in Dublin um, and his his partner hadn't moved job yet and um, he, we were both kind of um, alone in, in Newport as such and I remember I was with him on, on transfer deadline night uh, evening you know and oh, next thing his phone just started hopping and it was all managers that he'd had in other clubs because he'd been around a lot of clubs Ask him what's his player like, you know, because they might have had, you know, five guys on their shortlist and whatever reasons they didn't get them. And next thing it was just literally jump at opportunities, late phone calls. And I was like, this is chaos for awesome. a professional sport um, for managers maybe going to sign a guy who may keep the club up or get him promoted or keep him in a job on the basis of a recommendation for someone, you know, like that. But it was obviously down to his standing in the game. Um, but also it's down to the fact that there's just so many clubs all looking to try and um, make progress quickly or, or, or stop uh, regression uh, quickly and um, it's tough. two questions for me I suppose in terms of you know the, the League of Ireland financially I mean what level would the salaries here be at in, in England you know in terms of I know obviously there's some clubs who are cashed up in, yeah. in League One but just in general in the, well see this is the thing like the League of Ireland oh, 
it's it's mad it's like people are always asking this question by the way because it's it's but it's not the, really known to people what the comparison is but that's and it's, it can be so difficult because like say the League of Ireland for example even when even when in one dressing room there could be a massive like a drop off do you know what I mean like they really could like there could be lads there'd be lads here who've come back from say playing uh, say League 1 yeah. or League 2 in in the champ or in, in England and yeah you, they'd make it they would make a, a comfortable enough living on a top level League of Ireland salary but I say comfortable enough living it's like for the point it could be for the year or two yeah. if that's the length of your contract if you're lucky that's what you'll get well, obviously clubs now are beginning to to give out three and four year contracts but if you go back to after say Dundalk back under, under Stephen Kenny when they qualified for the Europa League and there'd be lads there who weren't still able to get even with their bonus still weren't able to get a mortgage on the back mm-hmm. of just the fact that they with their with their salaries like there'd be lads not, be, not being able to do that because it's just not it's not it's not a secure environment even at that at that level and even that's the same now in over in like over in the championship even like one of the lads who I spoke to for the article was Andy Lyons who just left Shamrock Rovers went for, went signed for Blackpool the manager who signed him at Blackpool Michael Appleton gets sacked what a week after he made mm-hmm. his debut and then he has a new manager in, in Mick McCarthy mm-hmm. so like there's still so much that can kind of dictate where you you might end up but in terms of with the League of Ireland like you've got so many clubs now are trying to are, are trying to put those structures in place properly now where they are sustainable businesses and be, like provide even fifty two week contracts even stuff like that up until a couple of years ago top level clubs even who be winning the league weren't offering contracts all year round now that is beginning to be the case but like you've got clubs that will come up and there'll be lads who could be on hundred euro a week and then you've got lads who could be on a fair kind of uh, multiple of that mm. do you know what I mean so it's it's still kind of the haves and haves not really but then that can be the same even within one dressing room there's a lot of Irish lads obviously making a living at different levels of English football and, and the question I have is you know I've seen young Irish players go to Italy because of apparently Brexit yeah. they're forcing that is, has, will Brexit, does Brexit or will Brexit make it tougher for those players to keep work permits etc or once you're in established yeah. are you okay well also I think the issue so um, with Brexit it's more the case you can't go until you're 18 okay. so say Marco Matten who now today has gone to be announced at Brighton obviously yeah. Cork City under 17 player of the year he, they announced that signing because he's now 18 like Evan Ferguson was able to go to Brighton a little bit younger because his mother is English okay. and there was a bit of a workaround there I'm not 100% sure on the mechanics of that but it was possible for him to go so obviously yeah we've seen a couple like Kevin Zeffi left Sherman Grover he went to Inter Milan and um, Trying to think now, who else? Like, there's obviously, uh, obviously Festi Ebbasali went from Derby County. He was a bit older, and he went from Derby County to Udinese. To James Bank, pardon. Carl Heffernan is over. Yeah, there. he's obviously at yeah. AC Milan there as well. And it, again, he went over there on a point where it was like I think it was a six months, and he earned his contract. He yeah. earned a bit of a longer deal. That was a, a major risk for him to take, but he was able to, to deliver on it. Uh, James Banque going to Udinese. Um, and then this is more the case now. What I think you might say it's going to put the onus more so on, like it's going to put more so the onus on clubs here to make sure that they have the proper structures and they have the proper infrastructure in place, the proper coaching, everything to keep lads who maybe might not go to European academies, which are capable of doing at 16 or 17 cannot go because of Brexit to the to the UK so you're going to have a sense now and have an idea whereby you could have a quite a younger league now over the next couple of years where clubs could look at players and say well if we fast track you through into the four team system and get you a good con- a decent enough contract professional contract and then by the time you're 18 you've got 
bit more experience behind you you've got that development behind you but then they also have a raft of progression stuff that they can go through in terms of if a club comes in they'll know exactly what you're worth and it's going to effectively what needs to happen is that money then properly get trickled into the system and then again just lead to hopefully the progression of academies but it's still going to need so much more because you're not going to be able to rely on clubs when they haven't got the proper backing and they haven't and they're still kind of chasing the tail compared to what the system is like in the UK or in Europe and different places they're going to need more than just getting a player gone here and there to be able to properly build up build up what, they, what they're going to need to um, deliver to be able to make sure that it's sustainable for a prolonged period of time It's going to be really interesting I think maybe 10 years ahead now to see how it all plays out because there is a lot of change happening you can see the structures are been in place but some clubs are further ahead than other clubs and then there mm-hmm. you would think that what would probably happen is that a lot of the better players are going to gravitate towards the bigger clubs and then how does that and and like the other issue is and it's 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 something that kind of again would you kind of written about as well is you need to kind of find a system that's going to work and the academy system that's going to work for us here in Ireland because there's only, like, so, many, only so many players. Start, like, there's there's like 14s, there's um, 15s, 17s, 19s mm-hmm. and then you've got the first team. But there's only so many spots in each academy. Oh, I need to start your first team yeah. and coming through. So, and like lads who come through, there's naturally going to be a trickle down where other players who might be at say the top academies and might not be quite good enough to go into a force team at that club will will trickle down that's just the nature of how it is in the UK but you kind of still have to find a system where you always hear that that, that works for, for us and what works for Ireland and, and also what works for the culture here because like it is different than the UK it really is in terms of just the people who are involved as well and you always hear it but you know well, in the UK it's a business and it is a business it's, it's an industry but I don't think necessarily you have to look for a mini version of that and slot that in and that's what works here like you do need obviously people who are involved in academies to be experienced you need them to be dedicated you need them to be qualified and you also just need them to be the right people but at the same time there still needs to be the other respect to what works best and what fits best for for the children who are going to be involved because at the end of the day that's what they are mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and like if you're ta- you saying all oh, lads are elite, elite footballers at 13, 14, 15 years of age like that just seems wrong like, that's, this, that's just a personal thing where you can say well that's an, an elite level yeah they would be very good but they still need to have that experience of being able to grow up as a kid and play different sports and enjoy what others supposed to not have that pressure whereas maybe when you get to a certain age then they might themselves make that decision when they, as they get a bit older but it's about finding what the systems that are going to be work best for, for Ireland because there's no point trying to play just have a mini version of, say, of what's over in the UK because like that's an industry that's been there for Generations, you know what I mean. Ireland, like if you try and play catch up with that, you're just going to end up making different mistakes. Whereas if you be smart about it and work to what the strengths are here, that's the only way it's going to really properly work and also survive. Uh, just one other thing before we finish up on this uh, from your piece, uh, Stephen Kenny's son was playing yeah. for Dundalk while he was over watching a, a game over there, and he missed that debut. But yeah. um, he's getting a little bit of attention um, from playing for the Republic of Ireland schools was it? Yeah I think he played for the schools team wasn't against Australia yeah, I saw that clip online that the, the Rabona flick when he kind of hit the, the post so it would have been some goal in yeah. fairness um, but yeah like again like again, the Ireland manager that's his job he has to be at games so he missed yeah. the scene his son make his like, full team his, I don't think it was a full day he came off the bench in a, in a friendly against Finn Harps for, for the Dogs Force team but like and obviously that club would be such an like yeah. Stephen Kenny would have such an affinity with it considering what he what he'd won there. But 
Um, but yeah, I don't think he'd been called up for Northern Ireland because obviously when he'd been up there and when he was born in, in Derry, wasn't he? When yeah. obviously Stephen Kenny would, would have been the manager there. So um, that's going to be an interesting one to see is, over yeah. the next little while. It's a know? very, very <laughs> situation where you'd have um, the national team manager's son coming through and uh, could possibly end up playing not for the country that his father is managing. So uh, we'll be watching that one for sure. Uh, just before we uh, leave this completely, Mark Mahoney, as who we mentioned, um, has joined Brighton and Hove Albion for Cork City so he has been getting attention for quite a while so he um, came from Carrigaline when he was under 15 and he has been uh, with Cork City and he's made a few appearances last year uh, playing international football at underage level he's a two and a half year contract now great opportunity but it seems he's a real talented kid yeah no he is like it's it's, it's one of those players you're kind of from a selfish point of view you're kind of thinking obviously Cork City getting promoted it'd be nice to see him in the flesh and it'd be nice to see mm. what he does over the next little while but Brighton have clearly identified him and said no, we don't want to, we don't want him to risk the possibility of getting into that getting into that team and then not not come with other people's attention because other clubs yeah. would have been there like Brighton have obviously obviously just Evan Ferguson there's uh, you know Adam Adam Morton uh, who was there as well obviously a few players before yeah. that who would have come through um, they've got obviously a real kind of reputation for just being able to develop our uh, players and and bring them through and just give them opportunities as well and like the the setup they have there is just incredible like the money they put in and the infrastructure that's there yeah, for them even and the, the facilities academy. pardon even the facilities just look yeah no amazing, it's, yeah. it's it's incredible like like one of this I think one of the coaches because he's gone in with the twenty trees hasn't he so one of the coaches there is Gary Dicker who yeah. uh, came through UCD played yeah. for Stockport which <laughs> is you might have done a piece with him in the past I know I actually spent the weekend I actually spent the weekend with him when he was the captain of Kilmarnock up in Kilmarnock in his horrible little apartment so I thought you were hopefully if you're listening You're to this, for probably, punishment now the, but then the COVID literally COVID hit, COVID hit only a couple of months later it was just before the Christmas and like again another, I know this is a bit of a tangent but another example where he was coming towards the end of his playing career right and he his uh, wife and two daughters were down in Brighton because he would have played mm-hmm. for Brighton before he would, have, he would have helped them get into the championship when they moved to that new stadium the Amex and then once they were kind of going up he, he ended up going to um, Kilmarnock and he's away from his family for most of the year and at Christmas time and all the rest of it and hadn't even got like a Christmas tree in his horrible little apartment right across where you from were. the <laughs> stadium pardon where you were yeah I know well yeah and then but yeah so he's there as a coach as well but like this is where I think Brighton maybe they might have just kind of been able to kind of uh just win the race for that one a little bit because it would have been interesting although like, yeah, the selfish part of me in terms of League of Ireland is, is a bit good that he won't be around just to see how he got on the Premier Division next season Yeah well we'll uh, question him luck because it's a great opportunity for him and he does seem to have to have it all um, anyway uh, let's move on to Everton because they are the club that are dominating all of the headlines at the moment um, although I'm going to mention Forest Green Rovers who Duncan Ferguson has um, he is now the manager there yeah so he Big was dunk. trending earlier and I was like what is he trending for? How, there's another Irish link I have there oh, go, for you go so. on yeah so the assistant manager there is another person that we spent a good bit of time on Michael Doyle a fellow who's played I think 800 games another fellow who's played 800 games in English football but never in the Premier League yeah. every other level promoted every other level never made it to the Premier League but played 800 games so had a really good career oh sensational <laughs> and now hopefully again now hopefully I don't know what like, you imagine Duncan Ferguson will want to bring, his in, bring in his own staff so whether or not he hangs on but it's just going to be interesting to see what Duncan Ferguson does I say there's some Everton fans are raging that mm. they haven't decided to just give him the job until the end of the season try and get, get them out of trouble but I, don't, I just don't know why. I don't know I, I'll be honest I, Duncan Ferguson was never a player I ever thought would go into management 
I never thought he would. Yeah, but I'll he, be honest. he seems to be well got just from yeah. anyone that's around him, like even though he does seem that. I believe in it, like, I ever, in terms of when he was there, like working with different people, like if it was Seamus Coleman, like the, the relationship they have would be quite strong, yeah. I think, in terms of the, the working relationship they would have had. But he's just someone who the club have obviously kind of really valued over over a while, and he left. I think they wanted to keep him against a lot. He worked with Carlo Ancelotti. He sort of manages he worked with, considering Everton go through them very, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he's someone who has a serious amount of experience of drama mm-hmm. as a player, but then also with the people who've been there. So it be interesting to see what a Duncan Ferguson team will, will actually look like at that, at that level as well, you know? Are you happy now with how Manchester United are getting on a 3-0 win over Forest last night? I was just even just chatting to Ron on the side about that. Like, they make it, like they are like it's a strange one because like this like all Man United, I think a lot of Man United fans be looking at this team still expecting it to kind of blow up a little bit just because that's what's kinda of happened in the past with some of these players that they kinda of, they are capable of doing this a run that they're on at the moment like this but then when they, when it gets to the crunch that's when maybe they wilt a little bit but you do kind of feel as if what Eric Ten Hag is doing with the discipline he seems to be instilling and just like the whole Ronaldo sideshow but like there's nothing coming out like what, what would have been coming out over the last couple of years in terms of players being unhappy or even being talking about like leak and stuff and all the rest which was which was incredible the amount of stuff that was coming out about what was happening behind the scenes at United I think anybody who would have grown up at a time when Alex Ferguson was a manager when it just seemed as if it was them against the world nothing came out like if you were and anybody who did dare speak out about it was Ferguson was one who got rid of them and it kind of feels as if the only thing that really came out over the last while is or that maybe got headlines or people raising their eyebrows was Jesse Lingard's now I know he's you know he's that there but that whole thing about the Manchester United um not having a games room and stuff so like that kind of that yeah. connection does kind of give a little bit of insight into maybe what it was like well, well yeah like I'll be honest if he, you say that about Jesse Lingard but then Jesse Lingard is the fellow whose social media was publicised and stuff for his companies in the day at the mm-hmm. exact time of the Munich Memorial yeah. and the anniversary so you're, you're kind of thinking with someone like Jesse Lingard coming out and saying stuff about how the club was being run like he wasn't even properly looking after his own yeah. career I mean, I mean that 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 kind of when he was there that was the kind of mentality or the, the way yeah. that things were operating on and, and in and how bringing out a new clothesline was more important than going out winning a match yeah yeah possibly it just, it just seems as if now like since Ferguson they have just, just seem to have been in state, such a state of flux where they're going from one manager to the next different styles different personalities and they just kind of needed something to kind of galvanise the club and considering where they were at the start of the season when, when a couple of the results when they, so they got beaten by Brighton and got absolutely annihilated by Brentford you're kind of thinking this is going to be this is going to take a long while people are saying it was toxic and all the rest but it does seem as if Ten Hag to be able to bring an element of like stability to the club and even to get them where they were because like stability at that point probably in United would have been if you finish seventh or eighth mm-hmm. and just try and begin to play decent football and then phase lads out bit by bit whereas he's beginning to do that yeah. but then also has them in a point where they should now qualify for the Champions League could potentially they're going to have it well you think they're now in the final they're going to more than likely play Newcastle that's going to be a very tough game That's a, at this stage between them two that's a 50-50 game the way Newcastle are going on already how but you kind of get the feeling that it's a manager who is capable of actually dragging the club with his own force of will whereas before it felt like even some of the managers who were there who might have that same kind of personality but they were coming towards the latter stages career like Mourinho Van Gaal these were fellas who maybe their heyday and their, their peak of their powers were gone whereas Ten Hag has had achieved the Ajax mm-hmm. and now he's on He's on the he's on the up a little bit, and you're just as if you're a United fan. You're kind of hoping that he's going to be capable of taking United with him because 
like it looks as if him as a manager he's only going to go one way and it's whether or not United are capable of going with him Bernard I'd say in a dressing room you only need like one or two bad eggs and it can poison everything else <clears throat> they can but you also need some strong characters who are able to mm. put up to put it up to them and, and, and challenge them and they can get isolated very quickly but um, you know it's yeah you need a core group who are mm. who are together and, and it sometimes comes from from the manager showing that ruthless edge to to make a call to leave a player out who's um, who's acting up and then generally it's game time in, in rugby and the contract's been so short obviously in soccer the fellas on you know a couple of hundred grand a week and a four year contract Sometimes they can be happy to sit tight, and but in 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 rugby, you know, being dropped or getting less reps of training, etc., um, that generally gets people back back on track. But yeah, you're right. You have to be careful. Like and that's why teams when they recruit spend so much time trying to find out about the individual um, and his per- mm-hmm. his personal life um, and make sure they're they're coachable and and they're they're good for the dressing room. You know, because mm. that's something about Vincent Cole, going back to just. Uh, We'll go full circle. Yeah, I know, but that's something that Vincent Company said about Josh Cullen was, yeah. like, when he signed him, because he originally worked with him at Anderlecht when he was the manager of Anderlecht and he brought him from Charlton and he said his original plan was he was going to have him as a squad player. He thought he'd fit into his squad. Didn't know what he was like as a, as a person, but he was going off what maybe people had said but didn't, hadn't worked with him and um, got him into Anderlecht and that's when he was he said like he became from someone who was maybe going to be say could be a third or second or third sub in a match coming on was the most important player in the team when they were going well and then that's when he knew whenever he, when he was coming to Burnley the first person he wanted in the door with him because he was coming in to change the style of a club at Burnley was, was Josh Cullen and that's what Ten Hag has done with United but making sure he got in the likes of Martinez who was just Torn seems to have torn around that dressing room and also yeah. kind of what the fans are expecting from it. So, okay, guys, uh, we better take a quick break. Uh, stay with us though, we'll be talking rugby with Bernard, and we also have Jeff Shepard to come as well. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. It's now time to turn our attention to rugby. Bernard Jackman is with me in studio. David Snade's going to stick around as well in case he's got any rugby views. Um, Bernard, let's start first of all with the business since we have been talking about the business of sport from a football point of view for the last little while. Um, there has been some really key appointments in the different provinces, but I guess Leo Cullen is probably uh, the best place to start because we're talking about stability and continuity and the importance of it there was probably a little bit of um, uncertainty about how long he wanted to commit for. He was kind of doing a year at a time, but for two years, he's going to be there for two years now. How important is it for Leinster to have him there? Yeah, I think it's it's really important. Obviously, with Stuart Lancaster leaving, um, to lose Leo at the same time um, would have been a, a massive, massive risk. And I think it's always been... Um, you know, I, I always, I always felt Leo would would, would want to stay. It was only if he probably got a job um, with the RFU. He's been linked with David Nusafor's role, um, and he's been he's been a key man for Leinster. Whether it's been as a captain on the field, whether it's been a liner caller, or being a forwards coach, and now obviously as uh, as the head man, um, particularly for non rugby related stuff, non training and, and non game plan. Stuart looks after that. It, now I suppose what's interesting is the makeup of the rest of the. Um, of the staff, there's 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 a rumor that Sean O'Brien will be promoted uh, from his contact skills role to being defence coach, and that Andrew Goodman, who's this year's backs coach, um, will step up and take on more of a role. So effectively, there will be very little change. Then you'd have Rob McBride staying, you'd have guys to be staying who looks after the contracting, you'd have Leo staying, and Sean, who's already in the system as such as a as a contact skills coach, and. Um, Will have kind of learned from from Lancaster and, and obviously his own experience uh, across across a huge career. So 
Leinster may not be in as much transition as um, as maybe looked likely at the start of the season when when Lancaster resigned and or sorry said he was signing for Racing and um, and and obviously they wasn't sure what was happening with Leo so new CEO as well so yeah it's it's important to have some stability especially when you're when you're flying high you know unbeaten things are pretty good on the field um, but there's, I think it ramps up the pressure that they need to they need to win a European Cup mm. you know with having obviously won, got 20 for 20 in, in the group stages a home draw all the way to the final no home no, sorry, no European Cup since 2018 um, I think this is there's big pressure on to, to get a job done So when we get to the end of the season who'll be left standing? In Leinster? No will Leinster be the No Leinster I think Leinster should yeah they should to be honest I think there's a there's a big divide this year across the, the competition Um I, I you know, I think Toulouse looked looked tired. Um, La Rochelle, the the current title holder, holders, um, they look to be the the main threat to Leinster at the moment. But Leinster, Leinster have been playing some great rugby mm-hmm. at this time of year for the last four or five years, but haven't been able to close it out. But they do seem to be at a little bit of a, a, a extra level and and be more complete this year. Okay, it's look. Hopefully, it'll be a the competition itself will be a good one over the next while because there has been so much criticism about the makeup of it uh, so far and maybe the lack of interest in um, in the group stages. We won't go into that though. We've talked about that too much, um, Bernard. I know there were reports in the Sunday papers a few weeks ago about what was happening in Munster Rugby and there were suggestions that there was a disconnect between what was happening on the pitch and what was happening in boardroom. Uh, quite interestingly, it was just announced this evening that Munster have promoted their academy chief in Costello to a newly created role of head of rugby operations. Um, what he's going to be doing is actually quite um, quite interesting and it does seem to kind of close that gap that was believed that was there between the boardroom and the pitch because he's going to be working very close with Graham Rowntree on recruitment and retention of players as well as overseeing succession planning and elite player development. It sounds like from everything that has been uh, spoken about over the last number of weeks that it was a role that needed to be put in place. Is that the case? Yeah, I think it has. Um, I think Munster definitely needs somebody like this and and, um, they've got someone they can trust, someone who understands their pathways, understands the uh, unique, I suppose, um, variances of, of, of Munster rugby in terms of being more club driven than than the school system obviously two ba- two capital cities or uh, two bases um to a certain extent with Cork and Limerick uh Costello has le- ha- was in the academy was then the defense coach then went to Nottingham to be a head coach so he would have experience of trying to put his squad together on a small budget in Nottingham then he went to Wasps um as part of their coaching team and has come back and you know the, the feedback and and the word in, in Limerick is the uh, and Munster is the the communication um, which is a huge thing from Munster to the feeder clubs has improved massively. You know, people they don't always get what they want, but they understand, you know, that they have a role to play. They're valued, and he's bring he's bringing through some young players. Uh, all of us not down to him. There were some good players in the academy, but Munster are, are look to be far better set now in terms of local homegrown players coming through. The role he has now is to basically make sure that no matter who the head coach is, that's they inherit a squad that's fit for purpose. So I, I'm very um, sympathetic to Graham Rowntree in terms of the squad that he inherited from Johan van Graan um, is, is, is lopsided and, and weak in certain positions that are crucial. Um, so the job of Guy Easterby in Leinster, which this role is very similar to and maybe a little bit different um, in Munster for, for Costello, th- his job is to make sure that if, if there's a change of head coach, 
um, there's not this massive waiting period for them to put their stamp on things that uh, the squad as I said is uh, is strong in, in across multiple areas and typically and ideally that's suited to how Munster want to play rugby um, and obviously the, head, the new head coach can put their own little stamp on that but there's core principles that are, are being followed and, and their money's been spent wisely um, and knowing what the academy have he, Ian Costello will know what's happening under 16s under 17s under 18s in Munster he will then be able to make decisions around contracts for senior players understanding what's coming through the pipeline so I think it's a very positive move for Munster Just while we're talking about uh, players moving and what squad looks like what squad looks like the last time you were on um, we spoke about Bundy Aki and the situation in Connacht we're a week on now and um, it doesn't really seem like there's been much resolution there with that would that be accurate? Yeah, he didn't play last weekend, so that that's the that's we're all waiting <laughs> that's we're all waiting to see because we're, we're you know we're not getting any more information on that, and rightly so. It's a private matter, um, and uh, it was interesting. Andy Friend came out and said he'd be shocked if you know that Bundy went anywhere. But the, the key is going to be now he goes to Irish camp, um, and he goes back to Connacht. You know, he goes back to Connacht after Irish camp, and does he play then? Um, there's no doubt Bundy a key on top form starts for Connacht every week. But for whatever reason, um, he hasn't been. He hasn't played a huge amount since the November international. So, I, I think it's still there. It's there to be resolved. Uh, it can be resolved for sure. Um, but also, we have to, you know, take for granted that we have to understand that it mightn't be resolved, yeah. and that's okay. That's okay. You know, it's not. It's not ideal. Um, it's not nice. But to Bernard, when things get to the stage where it's publicly been spoken about in the media, and it's very evident there is a problem. How difficult is it? You've been in this situation yeah. to go back, to go back to what it was like to ma- to rebuild relationships because, like, there's clearly issues. Yeah, and look, if the issues is if the issue is with Bundy Aki and Andy Friend, right, and uh, we're not we're not sure it is, but if it is that that is the issue, well, that's the easy fix because Andy Friend isn't there next year. You know what I mean? So it's a case of finding out who the new head coach is for them to talk to the player in question and sell Connacht as. as being the best place for Bundy to be, and that's that's what coaches then uh, do all the time. They they, and then they, they obviously have to show that it is true the way they train, the other recruitment, the other retention, and, and it's interesting. Connor in the last couple of days announcing long term contracts for some of their good young players, which you know will give all the players you know um, a little bit of reassurance that um, you know the business is happening and it's business is normal and and they're planning for the future. Um, so it can be sorted out, um, you know, but also I think. If it can't, if, if for whatever reason that relationship is going to finish at the end of the year, uh, at the end of the season, well, so be it. You know, that happens. Players move, you know, and, and he, his legacy in, in Connacht um, is very strong. Um, but hopefully it will, you know, getting this breakaway Six Nations, I think it'll be key man for Ireland in Six Nations, especially with Henderson out. Uh, he can go back and have a big end of season with Connacht and next year is the, is the player he's, he's been for most of his career there. Yeah, I, I, you know me now, I love stories like this. I'm like, right, what's going on really now? Tell us, let's get to the bottom of it. Um, so we are back to the URC this weekend as well. Um, so Ulster have made three changes to their side for tomorrow night's uh, game against the Stormers. And it feels like a big one, Bernard. Yeah, it's huge for them. Um, they've looked like they've turned a corner, obviously had a big win against Sale Sharks, qualified for the knockout stages. You know, they get the, the reward of an away game against Leinster, but... Um, they will want to, uh, to guarantee a top four finish, ideally a second is finish second to Leinster in the URC. And the Stormers have left some 
big name players behind, and Ulster have a strong team, and probably because they have so they've less players in the Irish squad now, um, like Nick Timoney etc get a chance to to play tomorrow night so huge game for them Stormers are a very good side even though they're not full strength and um, if they can get a win tomorrow night but a good performance I think everyone will go into this little break in Ulster saying right we've turned a corner yeah. and that, that that was just a blip whereas if they fail tomorrow night it's going to have a massive hangover not just in terms of the repercussions in terms of the league table points but also just that negativity that was there for, for most of the last four or five weeks yeah we'll have Answers for, to our questions by tomorrow night is what you're saying. Um, just uh, looking at uh, social media earlier, Cardiff playing Leinster, but it seems that Cardiff are missing a huge amount of players uh, for this game. Yeah, and Le- Leinster obviously missing loads as well, but Leinster typically have been very, very good at winning these games because of the depth of their squad. So um, that is trouble in Welsh rugby on and off the field um, not a good week for, for mm-hmm. them um, and I would expect Cardiff to come and, and, and Leinster to be able to put them away pretty easy OK uh, we can uh, get into the other games when we get some team news uh, tomorrow for now though we're going to take a very quick break Bernard thank you so much for joining us David stay with us Game On on 2FM Welcome back. While we are on the topic of uh, football, as we were with David Snade a little bit earlier, David, uh, just there's there are transfers happening all the time, and ones that might not pique our interest as much as they have done in the past. So we see Sean Maguire there is joining Coventry from Preston. If that was a few years ago, we'd probably be really interested in that. Not so much now because he doesn't feature in the Republic of Ireland yeah. squads, but still, just from a career perspective, it's it's good for him to get that move. Yeah, he needs to be playing football. He's one of those players who, again, had an unbelievable season with Cork City and then got his move over to, over to Preston, having previously been over in England and then come back. He was at West Ham as a kid. But yeah, he kind of... It wasn't so long ago. I remember again being over, and it was he was kind of doing really, really well, and was kind of hoping, you know, if he has a strong start to a season, he could potentially even get a move to a higher championship club or a championship club, or even possibly into the Premier League. And then just the nature of football, you know, managers come and go. You can lose a bit of form, you can pick up injury and come back. Then he finds himself at a, a Coventry City. Just needs to play football. Just needs to play football. And then obviously he's got the he's got the Coventry, and then. Uh, Connor Coventry, <laughs> the former Ireland 21 captain, who's just uh, uh, who is now no longer eligible because obviously he's too old. He has gone on loan to Rodrum from West Ham, and that could be a, that could be an important one as well because that's that's another mm-hmm. midfielder and a very talented young midfielder who made his Premier League debut this year, who could potentially in a year or so be a fellow who could be around the senior ranks again. Okay, well we'll be uh, keeping an eye on how they all get on. We're going to turn our attention now to American sports, and Jeff Shepherd join, joins us on the line. Shep, how are you? I'm great, Marie. How are you? Ah, sure. Look, I mean, I'm talking to you on a Thursday. Life doesn't get any better than that. And David Snade is in studio as well. Um, I want to talk to you about the NFL, but first I want to talk to you about uh, Patrick Reed. And we had Nadine Doherty in here yesterday, and she she suggested that he's not the most popular guy around. And you'd probably have a better grasp on that living over in the United States. Uh, what way has he been received over there? He had that little bit of... I suppose it was a storm in a teacup, really, with uh, Roy McElroy when you look at the video footage. But still, there's something going on there. I, I would say he's not the most popular guy around. Uh, that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty good <laughs> analysis there. I mean, you know, it, it just seems like so many just little small things just kind of follow this guy around, and it just gets, it just builds up on it. You know, it it's just kind of like you have a history with him, and and. You know, nothing. I don't. Nothing to me just seems like super egregious. Maybe you know, I have to go back and really thumb through the Rolodex there. But it's just like every time his name pops up, I'm just going, 
what is wrong with this guy? You know, and, and I, just, I just, I just, that's just not how you want to have a memory of somebody, right? I mean, that's how you don't want to have any interactions with people like that. Yeah, no, that's a. Uh... That is definitely the case. He just seems like somebody you should probably, if you see him coming, you should bend down and pretend that you're fixing something on your golf bag. It's uh, probably the best advice you could get from Roy McIlroy. Okay, let's park that because it is a really exciting time in the NFL. Um, unless you're Patrick Mahomes, who's been going through a really tough time uh, with his ankle injury. Let's hear from him first. It's doing good. You know, I've had a few days of treatment, a few days of rehab. Uh, excited to get on the practice field and kind of test it out uh, and uh, see where I'm at. But uh, it's feeling good so far. I think we'll see throughout the week. Uh, I haven't got, got to go out and practice yet and put myself in those positions. Uh, I've done limited stuff, kind of in a, a small uh, small kind of box of what I can do, but uh, I'll push it a little bit today and then, then the next day and then the next day again and see what I can do that not re-aggravate the injury, obviously, but uh, to push it to see what, I, what I'll be able to do on Sunday. Okay, so uh, decipher that for us, Shep. How injured is he? So, yeah, so he, I mean, look, he, he was pretty banged up. I mean, he got tackled uh, last Saturday night in the game against the Jaguars. And uh, a Jaguar defensive lineman fell on his ankle and, and kind of twisted it. And so, look, I mean, Murray, at first glance, it looked like he could have been anything from a twisted ankle to torn ligaments to, you know, broken ankle, something along those lines. He was, uh, you know, good enough. He missed a couple of series, came back in, and he played. Look, as bad as his leg hurts, his knee, his arm is just as magical as it always is. So he was able to make some plays and get, Jack, get past the Jaguars into this game. But, I mean, he's not going to be 100%. So, I mean, right there, that's a win for the Bengals, that you're not getting Patrick Mahomes at 100%. You have to think, you know, you take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday, and, hey, they're playing this game on Sunday. So, you know, the Bengals have to feel good about that. But he will have had a week to rest it. Again, he's not doing too much in practice to try to re-aggravate it. He knows the offense. He knows the plays. You know, he's very comfortable in this system. He's going to rely on Travis Kelsey, who I think had 13 or 14 receptions last week against the Jaguars. He's going to be his number one target again this week uh, as they look to take the Bengals on for the second year in a row with the AFC Championship game. Okay, Shep, we don't have a huge amount of time and you're great for just summarizing what we can look forward to at the yeah. weekend. So go for it. Yeah, so the the Bengals played phenomenal last week against the Bills in Buffalo with all the distractions, the snow, the DeMar Hamlin of it all. Mm-hmm. They came out, won the coin toss and just elected to beat the crap out of the Bills. And they did. Um, and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all those guys, they did all the things that were necessary, and they just looked, you know, unflappable last week. They went into Kansas City last year in the AFC Championship game and won, even though they were trailing big at the half. They're on the road and they're the underdogs, but, I mean, quite honestly, I think they're going to win this football game. On the NFC side of things, you've got San Francisco and Philadelphia. These are the two best teams in the NFC. Uh, We have the four best teams left in the NFL that are playing. Philadelphia has been really good, but Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown are a little banged up. I don't know if that's going to be enough to help San Francisco win this game. Both of these defenses are very physical. I think the quarterback that makes the most mistakes in this game and hurts their team, that's the team that's going to lose. I mean, I think that's a coin toss. I think the Bengals win the the AFC game. Honestly, I think the NFC Championship game could go either way. Okay, Shep, you nailed it there. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us and for all of those updates. Uh, We'll check in with you again next week. That is all we have time for. David Snaith, thank you for coming in. And for anyone who might have missed out on reading David's brilliant article, you can check it out on The 42 and we might even tweet it out from our um, game on social media. Uh, Right, uh, Betty De Silva is up next. RTE 2FM.